Welcome to episode 47 of the Ear Hustling Podcast with James and Eric. That gentleman is James, and my name is Eric, and we have we have a fantastic show. Uh, we're going to have a light topic after the last uh, few episodes have been a little heavy, but we're going to go talk about something. Well, actually, I'm not even going to say it's a light topic. Actually, if you've seen this, then you know that it has some pretty heavy and pretty deep um, implications, um, and we've got some guests who will be joining us today to go offer their opinion. Um, that's pretty much it all that I have to say. I guess I probably had an obligation and, and, and as a courtesy, I should ask you how you're doing. Oh, who me? I thought this was a solo show. You were doing all the talking. I just, you know, assume you had it today. Hey, there's only two things that I require you to do as my co-host. That's know your role and make sure to Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I, I know what's supposed to come next. No, nah, couldn't. couldn't man, do, I, couldn't, I'm couldn't doing do. good, man. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. You know, couldn't do this without you. I feel almost the same way. Almost. Yeah, you know, there is one indispensable component who very rarely graces us with her present on camera, and that would be your wife. That's true. That's true. So she is like so, so valuable and so important. And then also, you know, we've got the good brother who decided to throw us on his network, who's going to be one of our guests today. That would be uh, Ben, you know, the owner of BS3 Radio. So we definitely want to thank him. Um, and we're going to continue with our uh, Black History Month theme because we've got a movie that we, we need to critique. But uh, but before we do that, um, everything's going well with you, I, I trust. Oh, man, everything's going great. It's nice and sunny down here in Fulton County, Georgia, you know, in the 70s. You know, so um, I had on T-shirts and, and a shorts and shorts today. How about you? How, how, how was you dressed? You just begging for me to whoop your ass, ain't you? Now, I'm asking a legitimate question, but you know what? You keep campaigning for it. I'm, you're going to get elected to one. I'm telling you. I'll tell you what. It's two people on this panel that can relate to me. And uh, so we are definitely the majority. So I'll tell you what. Why don't we uh, cut past the, the the envy that you have in, in our weather Look. and bring them on? Look, let me go ahead and bring him on. But let me tell you something, okay? You just couldn't handle what was going on up here, so you had to go escape to the nice, warm confines of Georgia. Hey, I, it is what it is, sir. But let's welcome to the to the show um, the first lady. She she uh, definitely pointed out that she's the first lady of the Ear Hustling Podcast. Soleil, welcome to the show. Hi, how's everybody doing? We are awesome. How are you? Fabulous as always. Awesome. We got Miss Johnny Marie. Johnny, what's going on? Hey, everyone. Good. She, you know what? That that. Uh, Hello, everyone. How are you doing? That is so not Johnny, but uh, <laughs> I didn't ask that. I just said, hey, everyone. <laughs> you know what? It's funny that you bring it up. I was watching something on a uh, WDIV. 
uh, news. They had a special last night about um, about, you know, the way black people interact with each other and then with other races. And I guess the um, the slang term for it is called a code. So when you've got your professional or your non hood voice and then you got your hood voice. So they, they gave this example uh, of, of like an action like Barack Obama was um, saying, you know, hello to the Olympic team. You know, so he goes over to I forgot who the white guy on was the team. But, you know, he goes and he shakes his hand and then he gets to Kevin Durant. And then it's like this. And he gets to LeBron James. It's like a full embrace hug. But then he gets to like a white guy and it's like a handshake. <laughs> wow. It's like it was so subtle. But but you you, you didn't you, you didn't notice it. What wow. you just did was not subtle at all. <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I would say at work, um, most of the time I'm Michelle Obama, but every once in a while, Kiki Johnson pulls out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So who's on the show today? Is it Michelle or Kiki? Well, we're going to start off with Michelle and we'll see how you act, and then Kiki may show up. Oh, all righty then. <laughs> and, okay, and, so and Eric, there was one person we have not introduced yet. He needs no introduction because. He is who is he, Eric? What uh, do we call him? He is Godfather of BS3 Radio, <laughs> Mr. Ben Sutterth. Ben, what is up, sir? Welcome back. What's going on? Glad to be here. Uh, I didn't want to miss this one. I well, swear, you know what? Uh, we we definitely got some uh, some return uh, friends of the show, family of the show. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing uh, everyone's thoughts on on the on the movie, uh, Eric. Got through the first thirty minutes of the show, and you quit, right, Eric? Of the show? No, 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 sir. Of the movie? No, of the movie? No, 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 sir. I watched the entire movie. Oh, okay, you did watch it. Okay, I was right. I was, I was that card. Right, I was a little distracted when I couldn't watch it straight through. But I actually, I watched it once straight through, and I listened to the audio one it straight through. So it gives you a little bit more of a perspective when you just listen to the dialogue as opposed to watching the screen, especially if you saw the dialogue first. Okay, can you be real, Eric? We're all family here. The I'm picture in your TV went out, didn't it? My what? The picture in your TV went out, didn't it? I've got several TVs. <laughs> so no. So it no. Is, if you got if you got a phone, you can stream it. So yeah. exactly. You know what? That that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But you know what? We're still friends, though. We are. We are. We're family. We're yeah, family. you're right. Barely. I'm, I'm asked for some fraternity on that brothership. Oh, um, but let's get started. There's there's you know, I want to actually start out with a couple of questions before we jump into the movie. Um, prior to the movie, who all heard of the Black Panther Party? I did. I have. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah that's an easy one. OK. Before the movie, who heard of the crowns? Oh, the, oh gee, OK. <laughs> the crown. Oh, the crowns. No. No, I did not know about them. To the I, movie. I didn't either. I didn't either. Okay, I'm not the only one. I was hoping not. Um, so let's get let's get started. So let's start with you, Soleil. You're first on my, my screen. Uh, we're just gonna go around a little bit and just kind of uh get a an overall idea on what you just real brief, like 30 seconds to a minute. What did you think of the movie? I thought it was fantastic. I've been waiting for this movie for a couple months since I knew it was coming out. Um, I didn't know the story of Fred Hampton. 
Um, and then after watching it, I've watched it twice, and I was impressed even the second time by it. It moved me in a lot of ways uh, emotionally, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But um, I think both of the main actors, uh, the one who played Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill, um, I think they both should get awards. Um, or nominations for their performances. It was excellent. Okay. Johnny? Um, I'm with Soleil. I really uh, enjoyed the movie. I think, uh, it, of course, it did pull on a lot of emotional uh, heartstrings with me. I, I was thoroughly impressed because of how young uh, Chairman Fred died. I mean, he was 21 years old. So to have that much power and that much impact and that much influence uh, is overwhelming. You know, you compare then uh, with some of the young people today and it's, there's no comparison. So um, I think that I was impressed by uh, Daniel's uh, portrayal. Um, I, I won't lie, I was really uh, hesitant of watching the movie at first when I saw who was playing it. He, he really did a great job as well as Lakeith. So, very good job. Okay. Ben? Uh, I thought it was, number one, it was very well done. Um, I think both of the main actors, you know, Lakeith Stanfield and I always forget the, forget the other guy's name, but it was just very, very well done. And the story was about both of them, like separately showing their stories and then them coming together. And you know, I don't. I think the preview. You were like, okay, what what is this going to be from beginning to end? And I mean, it. It's. Uh, I just thought it was done very well, and I, and I thought that it made you want to research stuff that you didn't know. Like mm -hmm. that, to me, that's a good movie. When you after it, you're still thinking about it. And you're trying to figure out stuff that that was in the movie that you didn't know. So, and, and I think the key part is like like the line that he said. You can you can you can kill. Um, you can kill the person, but you can't kill the revolution. It was something to that term. Kill and the like, revolutionary, but not the revolution right, or something like right, that. Yeah. Right. And I th that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, what about you? What were, what were your thoughts on the, on the movie? Uh, it was a, a well-written movie. And what intrigued me is that everybody, of course, is going to be interested in the main plot line, but then the subplot lines. Uh, the FBI agent, for instance, and I'm sorry that I can't forget his name. He seemed like that he had a conflict on whose side he was really on. Uh, you kind of felt that he was sympathetic to the cause, but because of his job, you know, he had to perform certain things that he just really didn't want to do. Um, and then it, it, everybody had like, and, and a, you know, they had like a good angel, bad angel, you know, on their shoulders. Like, who, who do you, who do you listen to? Uh, but yeah, it was like really, really intriguing to me. The beginning of the story I thought was really, was it really interesting too. Because you, you had a lot of, in my opinion, a lot of memorable lines in this movie. You know, when he was, um, and I forgot his name, uh, but he was pretending like he was the FBI agent at the beginning of the Bill story. Bill O'Neill, yeah. Bill and then he was like, well, why did you decide that, you, why, why, why an FBI agent? And he was like, you know what? He was like the badge. He was like, when you got this badge, you should have badge. It's like an army behind you. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of memorable quotes um, in this movie. Uh, but that right there is just one of them. You know, he wanted he didn't know where to fit in. He didn't know what to do. Uh, but by the end of the 
by the end of the movie, you kind of felt that he wanted to be loyal and true to the cause, but he was just in it too deep in order to pull out. Hmm. That could be taken many different ways. It um, all right. Um, so, you know, you, Eric, you mentioned uh, Roy Mitchell. You're speaking of just uh, Angel on his his um, his shoulder, what have you. Ben, you brought up a point that I kind of want to touch on now. You're absolutely right. I wanted to do a lot of research after I saw the movie. Does anyone recognize Roy Mitchell's name? And you may have picked up on this after any, any research you did. Does anyone recognize his name by chance? No. Mm -hmm. So in doing some research, uh, and they kind of talked about this in the movie, but of course it wasn't specific. He was actually accredited with helping solve the murder of three civil rights workers, and which uh, inspired the movie Mississippi Burning. So he he did some things, good, bad, and different during the civil rights uh, uh, era. Which leads me to this question for anyone that wants to answer: Do you think he was a bad guy doing bad things, or do you think he was? Was he a bad guy just thinking he was doing the right thing? I think he was confused. I think he was extremely conflicted on what it is that he was doing. He, he knew, as far as as far as being an insider in, in a Black Panther organization, he knew the good that the organization did. You know, but again, uh, to me, for but him, did, huh? Did he know what the good the organization did? Because he compared them to the Klan. He said it was no different. You know what? He knew. I mean, he he, he knew because he had intel on what was going on. So maybe he started out thinking that way, but eventually he knew what was going on because, I mean, think about it, all of the, uh, you know, the wiretaps and stuff that was going on, you know, that stuff was turned in. So he he knew, he knew, and, and he was even, I believe that he was reluctant to even go through, you know, with the plot, you know, to, um, you know, to have him killed. But, you know, when he gets as high up the food chain as J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover, who's sending orders to your boss and then you got to follow through. You know, it's yeah, I think that that was an internal struggle. I, I really do. And I believe that he knew what was going on. He did attend at least one meeting that we saw. So who's to say, you know, who's to say that he he didn't have his ear closer to the um, closer to the pulse than, than than most, you know, law enforcement at the time? I'm curious what everyone else thinks on this. Yeah, I, I think he had a small uh, percentage of. Um, believing in the Black Panther Party. I think it was more so, I work for the FBI. Like, that's that's my job. That's what I'm going to do. And I, I'm I'm going to basically use this guy that could have went to jail for a couple of years, but I'm going to use him, like, as, as much as possible to where he's, like, on the fringes uh, of of killing himself or running away or something. So I don't, I don't think he, I would say it was, like, 10% of, of him really caring or considering the Black Panther Party because there were so many lines in the movie where you know he even when he was standing there and, and we was at, at the meeting when he was looking at him he was like you know I see I see what you're doing you know O'Neal like you're trying to act like you're in this but I know you're not in this so to me he was just there to spy uh, so that's that's yeah. my opinion. I, I agree with that, Ben. Um, I don't I think it's a very small percentage. To me, the only thing that he seemed reluctant to be a part of is um is the the one and I, and I didn't write his name down, the one Black Panther uh member who came from New Haven that talked about the uh, the 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 rat that they had that was flushed out and was murdered 
Uh, that was to me, that was the only thing that the FBI agent really seemed like he had a problem with. Um, but besides that, it didn't seem like he had a conscience at all. But, um, Johnny or Soleil, you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I agree with what everybody said so far. I mean, during those times, it was just a job for them. Um, it, it was just a mission to um, get rid of black leaders, strong black leaders. And so I don't think he had any remorse or, or cared anything about the cause or there, there was a scene in the movie where um, he went into, um, it wasn't, it was somebody higher than him um, office. Um, and he was about to present like, okay, so here's the plan or, or this is what's about to happen next. And his boss was like, oh yeah, we already know we, we got this. And it just seemed like, you know, he was trying to use that as a stepping stone for his career. Um, and then, you know, something happened before that. And I think that's just how it was during that time, especially for him. You know, I, I saw it a little bit different perspective. I, I think that uh, Mitchell was really romanced about being an FBI agent. I think that he really thought he was doing good. I, I remember in the beginning, one of the first scenes where they were in a, a briefing and he was just so engaged by saying, uh, by the words they were talking about uh, what the Black Panther Party was doing. And I think he really thought that, you know, they were the same as the Klan, because like you said, he did mention about he was a part of uh, that investigation of those, um, of those three uh, students. Um, and so, you know, again, when he also went in the office and he thought, he said, hey, you know, I understand about the rat, uh, about the uh, the informant from the other um, Black Panther uh, location. And then they were like, oh, I know he was stunned. I mean, to me, he seemed like he was stunned. Mm -hmm. So I think he was like stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't think he softened up. He knew exactly what was going on with it. Um I, you know, I, but I do think he honestly thought he was doing good. Um, otherwise, then I don't think that he would have invited O'Neill to his personal home. He didn't need to do that. Hmm. Interesting. So. You know, one thing I wanted to ask too is based off of your studies or knowledge of the Black Panther Party prior to the movie, what would be one word you would have used to describe what you thought about the Black Panther Party? Johnny, let's let's start with you on that. Um, I think what what um, what society probably wanted you to think is they were mm -hmm. some kind of militant movement. They were real radical, uh, extremely violent, um, but that wasn't the case at all. You know, mm -hmm. uh, let's be let's be honest. We know the media has really not changed from then to now. Uh, they're going to broadcast all the negative aspects, you know. Um, but, you know, of course, a lot of the research is, I mean, I knew that they did some, uh, a lot of community work, but not that much. I did not realize that that was mainly the main focus was the community. Um, and also, I didn't realize that um, it wasn't just about having Black Panther, uh, Black, Black Panther, sorry, 
black people in the party, they reached out for everybody. It was it was literally they wanted for the people. So yeah, yeah. So that was that was a really long one word, but you know that was. Uh, <laughs> No, I was wondering, I was wondering if somebody right. was going to kiss that. I'm all right with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I was like the longest word. No, I'm just kidding. So, hey, how about you? What one word do you have? Um, I was going to say uh, militant as well, but since uh, my friend used it, um, I think the imagery that I had kind of goes to what's been happening in our world recently. So maybe um, maybe terrorist is too strong of a word, but, um, you know, I, I guess my imagery would, would have been of like rioting and destruction and trying to overthrow the government. I know that's not one word, but that was sort of the imagery that I kind of had before the movie. And to Johnny's point, my my view has definitely changed after watching the movie and doing some research and, you know, learning more about really what the Black Panthers were all about. Okay. And, and just to put on your radar, um, both of you, um, Soleil and Johnny, we're definitely going to come back to what is something your perception of the party now. Um, but Ben, what was your perception prior to the movie? Um, one word, one phrase, one paragraph, whatever we want. <laughs> um, I would say powerful um, because, uh, I mean, I, I grew up in the, in the Bay Area, which is where it started. Now, uh, I was born in 82, so I don't, I, don't, I don't remember a lot of it. But before watching the movie, I watched a lot of documentaries, and they just, they exuded, like, power. It was like when you seen them, there was no – Oh, they're 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 gonna be soft about what they're doing. They're like, I'm gonna do this. You're gonna see me, and I don't care. And I'm gonna walk around with a gun in the street. So what you what you gonna say now? Like that that that's just the sense that I I've always gotten is just powerful. Okay, Eric, what about you? What was what's what's your 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 take on it? Misunderstood. So that was always your perception, even before the movie. You know what? I, I've had a little bit of a unique perspective because by me being uh, from East Chicago, there was a lot of things that spilled over from Chicago to East Chicago as far as the um, the free lunch programs. Uh, we, we had that conversation. And the reason why I know about that is that the free lunch programs were provided through the Black Panther Party. Um, I didn't leave Chicago until like 77. So I had just started school and there were a lot of low income housing um, where you know, food obviously is hard to come by, but yeah, the free lunch programs, the community center, all of that stuff was real in cities like East Chicago, Gary, Hamden, as well as in the Chicago area. Interesting. So Eric, my- I have a question. So Eric, you said misunderstood. Is that your view? You were misunderstood or that they were misunderstood? Both, because for as much as I knew about the Black Panther Party, I didn't know about the community centers, um, you know, they were trying to offer like free health care, you know, all of these concepts that America in general has been clamoring for. The Black Panther organization was trying to get these things established in the 60s and the 70s before it became a thing. So, yeah, what they actually stood for and the amount of um, the amount of togetherness. I mean, think about that phrase, the Rainbow Coalition. Jesse Jackson, quote, 
coined that phrase, but the Rainbow Coalition predates Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson got the idea of the Rainbow Coalition based on how the Black Panthers had everything organized. Yep. Hmm. So my one word, it's been said a couple of times, I I pictured them as militants myself. So that's my one word. Now, after the movie, my one word is is learning more about them and doing research posts is more as activists. Uh, what about everyone else? Uh, Johnny, we'll come back to you since we started with you. I would say community because they, uh, I mean, they really looked out for the community and the people. It wasn't like this is about us. This is about uh, all of us, uh, like so that we can build together and that we can be better people. Okay. Johnny? Uh, I, I would have used both words, so now I, I need to think of something else. Um, I would say uh, family. I mean, they were, they were really uh, you know, they were really, really close knit, you know, especially when uh, some of them were hurt. Uh, they took that to heart. You know, they, the one gentleman was literally willing to die for one of, one of the Panthers, you know, and, and he did. Ultimately, he did get in a gun shootout for it. So uh, I will say that. Are you speaking of um, Johnny, the the um, Panther who was taken to the hospital and later died? Yep. Or we should say killed. Yeah, yeah. So um, as we all know, based on true stories or inspired by true events, uh, there's always a little bit of Hollywood in there. And um, just for anyone that doesn't know, I, I did some research on that as well. And uh, his name in the movie was Jimmy Palmer. Uh, that was a fictitious character. But um, based off of what a lot of people have said uh, about the movie and who was a part of the Panther, uh, the Black Panther uh, Party, um, a lot of things happened that they couldn't prove, you know, also. So there could have been a Jimmy Palmer out there, uh, but it just wasn't, you know, able to be proved or what have you. But that was a fictitious story. But we all know it's definitely believable by all, by all means. Soleil. What, what is the one word or phrase that you now look at the Panthers after on uh, the movie? I would say accomplished. Um, you know, in, in those few years that Fred, Fred Hampton was leading um, that chapter in Chicago, they accomplished so much. He was so young. Um, to Johnny's point, he died when he was 21, 22. Um, I kind of felt like was he more successful than other black heroes that we sort of um, hold on a pedestal um, because of what he did in three years? Um, you know, that, I mean, that that's a question for everybody on the panel, but he did remarkable things during that time or the Black Panthers did remarkable things during that time, things that, um, Malcolm X and, and Martin Luther King were unable to do. Um, you know, he brought white people and Latinx people into the mission, which is a huge accomplishment even now. So I, I felt that it was an accomplishment 
and kind of disappointed that, you know, 50 years later, we're, we're kind of still in the struggle. You bring up a great point, Soleil, um, because he was able to bring people together in the Rainbow Coalition that at that time, I mean, we're talking about two totally different people. You know, today we have a, a, a term for white people who are down for the cause, our allies. The people that he was talking to in that movie, they they weren't what you look at as allies. You know, they were Confederate flag carrying. You know, they were the, the N-word dropping. You know, that's who they were. But he was able to bring everyone together by the common, um, I, I don't want to say enemy, but, you know, he brought out the, the common uh, thing that we all had, in, that everyone had in common and fight against that. You know, I thought that was really interesting. What is everyone's thoughts on that? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. The minute, the time he went into that building um, and, and he just oh. walked in, I mean, like his confidence to me, like, I don't know. If I've if it's portrayed in a movie like that, where you just go wherever with confidence and just say like, "Hey, I know you may not like me, but guess what? Both both side, both of us are poor. But like we're poor, and we need um, we need a change. So why don't we group together to help build a change? Like to me, that that was a uh, that's that was powerful. Yeah, you know, Shay is asking, uh, wonder how accurate the movie is. Do any of you know? Um, of course, I don't know if if that scene was was, you know, exactly it. But what we do know is that he did bring those groups of, of people together. Uh, we do know that. And, and I would think that it couldn't have been easy. You know, I think the scene in the movie probably made it look a lot easier than what it really was. You know, I would just imagine just looking at that time that there was a lot more resistance that he faced um that we probably can't even imagine but uh we do know at least that yes the rainbow coalition was a real thing and he did have um people from all different backgrounds come together does anyone else have anything to add to that as far as any knowledge no 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 knowledge but just again i know we keep bringing up his age but the remarkable thing about that is is that you've got somebody in 2021 that stepped into it and just immediately took charge of an entire organization, you know, he had such a uh, such a vision. Um, I, I guess that would probably be the one word that I would use to go back to that last question: is visionary. I mean, he had a vision, he implemented that vision, and then he has other people that are rallying around him from different ethnicities. So the amount of power that this young man had at that age, uh, I don't think that he had any formal education, but man, you know, from 18 to 21, you know, he's leading, he, he, he's leading grown men. He's leading women. He's leading all sorts of different cultures. That, that right there is, is an incredible responsibility that he did not take lightly. There were a couple of instances in that movie where they were trying to figure out whether or not they were going to escape to like whatever country, you know, he had all of his money and he was like, look, he was like, here's the money for the, here's the money for the community center. You you need to go get that done, and 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 they got it done. You know they they got it done. And it's it's you know it, it just I'm thinking about being 21 years old. I had problems leading myself, let alone leading thousands of people. You led me to the club. Um, you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> 
but you know, it's it's funny too because just to kind of piggyback off of that, um, he his his leadership was was very interesting. You know, um, he united. We talked about that. Um, the the young lords. We we think about all those words we use in in pre movie. What we thought about the Black Panther, um, the media. Soleil, you mentioned that. Uh, I think it was Soleil uh, mentioned about the media and the portrayal um, of everyone. But look at what the young lords have said. Also, you know, they said that they that one of their their members was killed by the police. They captured that police officer, and what did they do? They turned them over. They didn't kill them. They didn't seek revenge. You know, they turned them over. And the, and the thing about um, um, about Mr. Hampton that I found interesting too is he gained this power not by breaking kneecaps in the street, you know, not by publicly killing people, but he was respected. You know, he wasn't feared. You know, he he didn't gain his his leadership by fear. Would you guys agree with that, or or do you have a different idea on that? I think. I think that the presence was there. That wasn't his initial thing. They may, it may have been some underlining, you know, folks that he may have had, you know, that wanted to go ahead and, and, and take that aggressive route. But he was kind of a combination of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King from the perspective is that he could rally people through his voice, but there was always that hint of threat that it could go the other way. So we could either do things the easy way or we could do things the hard way. So I, I, I I believe that was his first option, but I don't think that he was limiting in his movement to just peaceful, uh, peaceful protests, peaceful change. Ben, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say in the movie, it, it wasn't portrayed that he was pushy. It was just portrayed like this is like like you said, uh, I think that was you, Eric. This is the vision. This is what I believe we can do. Uh, come with me. And I don't think it was like I'm gonna grab your hand and you have to come with me. So yeah, I, I don't think it was it was pushy or it was it was forceful at all. I think he took a stance. He he kind of commanded respect, right? When he walked in the room, he had a presence about it. Uh, the way he spoke, uh, you know, he didn't speak obviously in the monotone at all. But you know, he commanded respect. People was listened to him. You know, they didn't talk over him. Um, I think he still, I don't think he wanted to put the uh, the fear out there, but he wanted to let you be known that he, he has weapons too. So, you know, you're no better than I am because I have weapons, <laughs> but you're going to listen to me when I speak to you. Right. I, I, I laugh because um, I was thinking about the first meeting that they showed Bill O'Neill go to, and he said, these guys got rocket launchers, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of Bill O'Neill, unfortunately, but true, we have Bill O'Neill's today, you know, that type of, of person. Uh, have you guys ever met a, a Bill O'Neill type person? Yes. Sure, yeah. I think, I think we all have. Right. <laughs> but so, so, Lay, you was one of the first to speak. Uh, let's hear about your Bill O'Neill story, if you can share um, I'd rather not share, but yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. All right. Ben, Johnny, Eric, either guys want to share your Bill O'Neill personal experience? You know what? I'll put it this way. Um, 
I'm more concerned about the deal of deal that I don't know versus the ones that I do know. Mm. It's the ones that you don't know that'll wind up getting you in trouble that potentially could get you killed. <laughs> so yeah, those those folks that you know, because you, you kind of suspect certain folks, but then it's just like the person who you just don't expect. Um, and, and those are the people that concern me. Uh, you want to think about we had a lot of Bill O'Neill's prior to President 45. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, it's just like an explosion of those type of people with those type of personalities. Oh, this is how you really feel. This is how you really view me. This is how you really act behind closed doors. This is what you really think of. So um, I'm, I'm done. So you, you've got something you want to chime in on? Um, I have a question. So what was more appalling to you Bill O'Neill's actions or the FBI? It was more appalling. Yeah. Let's let's hear from Johnny and Ben first. Um, to me, it was uh, Bill O'Neill. Um, number one, uh, I, I think because of the reputation of uh, them being FBI agents, that there's never been a trust. I mean, if, if anybody ever did research in the background on how the police even came about, you know, they they, they originally came about to catch slaves anyway, right? So they've never had a, you know, favorable reputation at all. I think it was more appalling for me for Bill because, you know, uh, it, was, it was several times in, at least portrayed in the movie, right, that uh, he was more aggressive than Fred himself, you know, uh, putting himself out there. And um, I just, you know, I think James and I said, spoke about this earlier about the crabs in the barrel. You know, why you do that to somebody who you should be family in a sense, right? Like we talked about the cold. He, they broke the cold. So, yeah. I would say I would definitely say Bill O'Neill because he had a choice. Like he had a choice, honestly, throughout the whole thing. Now I, I get it. You're you're human. It gets harder and harder. Like you're in too deep at some point. But then he he the research part, like we talked about, he continued to to infiltrate and to be a spy um, in the Black Panther Party after um, uh, Fred Hampton died after he was killed. So I mean. Like that just shows that he he was he was in this to cover his behind, but when his behind was done being covered, or when he was done, he was out of when he was out of the out of the potential of going to jail, you know, he continued to do it. And and yeah, you know, that that yeah, that's the part that really I guess really tore me up. Cause I mean, were they gonna get to Fred Hampton eventually? Possibly, but he pushed he pushed that thing along. Extra, he pushed it to the to the brink for it to, to happen maybe sooner than what it had to. So yeah, it, it's and, and the FBI is the FBI. You know their mission is to kill the black leaders and to exterminate them because that gives black people power and they don't want black people having power. And I was going to say, I mean, I agree with that, but this goes to prove that once you're in bed with the FBI or law enforcement, like you're in forever. Like even to Ben's point, Fred was dead. He was still in it. They own him. 
there was no getting out for him. He, he would have to, you know, either get released or, or, or die. There was a scene in the movie towards the end where he was having those internal conflicts and he wanted out. And there was still one last thing. That's the, the scene where they're in the restaurant and uh, the FBI agent wanted the, um, the, the layout of the apartment. So, you know, for black men, black women, um, I have some sympathy for Mr. O'Neill because when he's 18, 19 years old and thinking of going to jail for X amount of years, and you're told, well, if you just do this, you get out. You don't have to serve any time. I might have done the same thing at that age, you know, if I didn't know any better. And it just goes to show that once you're in, they own you for however long they 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 want. I think there was another scene where the other under um, there was another informant who got caught, right? And he was murdered. I don't know if that's a real story or if that's that's made up but yeah the fbi didn't care about the the uh informants okay he got he got killed by somebody so yeah it, it's a lesson that you know I, I hope that all young people understand first don't commit any crimes don't get in trouble but if you do like don't get in bed with the FBI or law enforcement. Yeah, and, and to add on to that, I believe the, the, the part of the movie you're talking about was the guy that said he killed an informant, but he actually killed, in the movie, he killed just, uh, another Black Panther, and he was the informant. Okay, but, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, th this movie has so many layers, but I think it just goes back to there. there's, there's a lot of instances where we're not looking out for each other and at the end of the day that that's 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 what i got from that and it was certain times where he was enjoying it like he was getting free meals exactly. it was going to you know i guess in today's time the cheesecake factory i mean he was he got a car i mean it, it was like he got benefits it wasn't like he was like you know like he was chained to uh, in a basement and they just let him out to do stuff i mean he he I think there was there was some give and take, obviously, but there was some instances in this where he I think he enjoyed it. I agree, Ben. Um, there was one scene just to to support that. Um, there was one scene when he gave the layout of their headquarters, and after it was raided, of course, he wasn't there. He came there and he accused, saying that there's a rat, you know, and he went off and he was acting mad. And if I find him, whatever, and then he leaves and he's backing up and he's laughing. You know, um, I, I definitely believe he enjoyed it. Um, I have no doubt about that in my mind. I, I agree with you, Ben. And, and you know what? Another point that I want to make about Bill O'Neill, he was in a leadership position. There were people that were actually following him. So it's not as if he was some mindless person that wasn't capable of doing things. He could have been could have been an asset. Um, he, he was an asset to a certain degree when the fire took place and, you know, he had the architectural background and, and all of that other stuff. So he was an intelligent, he was an intelligent person and he, he had leadership qualities about him. But in that same token, he was also, he was also a follower. And, and that's what kind of disappointed me about him is that you could see that he had leadership qualities. He had a position within the organization as, I guess you could just call it a security officer. Somebody called him a security captain, I think. Yeah. 
So he so he definitely was a leader and he definitely could have applied uh, his leadership. And if he was just half doing it and, and he was respected as a leader within the organization, if he was all in, imagine what they could have done. And one I thing I want to point out. Oh, go ahead, Johnny. No, no. I was just going to say, you got to keep in mind that the mentality of him, he was a career criminal, right? Mm-hmm. He was around the same age, 17, when they caught him, he was 17, 18 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you compare in his maturity level and his thought process and you compared it to Fred, right, they're around the same age. Um, but uh, his capacity was get get what I can get. Again, he was a career criminal. Um, yeah, when he, his whole point was to try to save his skin. The entire point of it was to save his skin. If, I, I don't, he didn't have, if you thought, if you think about it, remember when they first brought him in a room, they asked him, were you upset about Martin Luther King being killed? Were you upset about Malcolm X being killed? And his, his response was, you know, I, I didn't really think about it. Yeah, he, I, he originally said, yes, he was upset. But honestly, he probably didn't hear it. His mindset was a criminal at the time. I'm so going to get mine. Part of the cause. He was, he didn't, his mind was not there. His mindset was not there. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you say that, Johnny. That's what I was going to point out until I saw your hand as well. Uh, I think the the one critique I would have on the movie is as far as the two uh, main characters, I didn't believe that they were as young as they were. They just seemed so much older. And Johnny, you're absolutely right. 17 years old, um, Bill O'Neill, when he became an informant, 21-year-old, Fred Hampton. So they just seem so much more, so much older in the movie than what they actually were. And I really think you need to think about that mindset. So I think you're 100% right on that. So what were you going to say? Yeah, I think I wish that the movie was able to go into Bill O'Neill's inner torment a little bit more. I think there was a, a moment in the movie where he was having a bad dream and he finally got caught that you know, he was an informant um, and he woke up, but it didn't really get too deep into those struggles that he had, if he had any. Um, did anybody watch the Eyes on the Prize interview he did um, back in 1989 or 1990? I've not watched the whole thing yet, no. Immediately, immediately after we watched it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, he, he, he so it, it, hearing his own words and seeing him talk about it, he felt like he was an FBI agent. He was like, yeah, we, we did this and we did that. And it, it was almost like he, like, like that was his calling. Like he was supposed to do that. that that's the sense I was getting. He had, he had pride. He had pride in what he did. Uh, when, when you, when I was watching eyes on the prize. So you don't think he had any inner torment by this situation? No, no, no. I think he did. I'm just saying in that in that in that uh, documentary, he, he he just seemed like he was more so uh, hap- not happy, but he he felt like he had purpose in what he did. But then he wound up killing himself. <laughs> right. So he committed suicide. Right. And I, and I wish uh, and I wish they would have had something after. 
you know, after it was all after Fred died, I kind of wish they did a little bit on maybe Bill O'Neill, like a little bit on what he did after that. I mean, to me that, but I, I get it. It's, it's not necessarily fully about him. And, and you know what? I've got a question after everybody gets done answering um, that this last question. I think everyone's done. All right. So we've got Black Lives Matter. You know, with all of the events that happened over in 2020, Black Lives Matter was the big presence. If you take Black Lives Matter out and insert the blank and insert the Black Panthers, does anybody think that we still would have went through like the rioting and, and all of the things that happened in 2020? This is this is up under Fred Hampton's leadership. Now, let's just say that Fred Hampton, knowing what we knew about him at age 21, insert him into what was going on in 2020 with his leadership. How do you think things would have been handled? Do you think we still would have rioted? Do you think it even would have got to this point as far as like the police? Because the stuff they were talking about in the movie was the same stuff that we're going through now. But yeah. under his leadership, with him uniting everybody, do you think that it would have gotten as serious as it did last year? Uh, we'll start with you, Ben. Um, it's a really good question. I mean, I, I think, I think that maybe, maybe there would have been, um, there would have been something else backing it. I think, I think there maybe would have, there would have been more people, or maybe there would have been more. They, they just, they seem really organized. Now, I don't, I'm not that involved in, uh, in the, in the Black Lives Matter actual group, but. I think that when the Black Panthers were, when they were organizing, uh, it was, they just seemed really together. So I think, I don't think it would have been drastically different, but I think the, it, it maybe would have had uh, more, more longevity after, you know, everything kind of died down. All right. Select. Um, I think the government is afraid of strong black outspoken men and i think that what they did to fred hampton would have happened you know last summer um i think that white supremacy um inequality is in this country's dna and um so even if we were peaceful in our protests, they will kill us. Um, you know, for football fans, you know, Colin Kaepernick kneeled and he was called a son of a bitch by the president. And, you know, that he was peaceful, you know, and people were in uproar over him just taking a knee. And so even when we do things the right way, um, silently, privately, or without destruction or whatever, they still get mad at us and they still wanna hurt us. And they wanna do it even more when you're able to organize a group, organize black men and women behind you organize allies, feed the poor, open recreational centers, teach um, our babies, um, you know, math and English and all these things, they're threatened by that. So I think, um, I don't think there would be a difference 
um, if, if there was a Fred Hampton leading BLM today, I think the outcome would have been the same. And I think um, probably more lives would be lost um, because of it. Eric, before you continue on, let me jump in real quick, say one quick, really quick, quick thing. Uh, I've referenced this quote before, but there's a, a second part of it. Roy Mitchell said when uh, Fred, I'm sorry, when um, Bill went to his house the first time, he said, Panthers and the Klan is one and the same. You can't cheat your way to equality. You know, and, and we're talking about equality at this point. And that's what the fight has always been a, about. I don't see one single thing in the movie where the Panthers were trying to cheat to get equality. So to Soleil's point, I think no matter what, um, the government would have found a way to deal with Fred Hampton and anyone else that has stepped into his role. And I think that's a reason why, to be honest, just my personal opinion, you guys may disagree and I would love to hear. I think that's why we really don't have a true leader today. You know, I think some people, many people are scared, you know, to step up and, and be that person on the, on the front line, be that one individual. You know, I think it's great that we have a bunch of people, but I questioned personally, who's exactly leading us during this time? I would love to hear what anyone has to say on that. I think we well, really I mean, I think, um, sorry, Eric. Um, I think the black community in general, we're attracted to these dynamic speakers, which Fred was. And so when, when I'm hearing some of these speeches that uh, Daniel, insert last name, was um, doing in the movie, like I was ready to get up and do something, you know, because, you know, that's just what I'm attracted to. It, it's, it's powerful and uh, inspiring. And so, no, we don't, we don't have that individual that is speaking to us in a way that we haven't heard since those times. Um, at least in my time, 42 years, I haven't heard, you know, that type of uh, person speak with that type of presence um, in my life. So um, I, I do think that that's something that we're missing as a community. Um, and a lot of the things that we do do is short lived and not long lasting. And um, I really hope that changes. Agreed. Who was the last, I guess you could say, great black leader that we had? Um, a lot of people may say it was Martin Luther King. Um, when you really think about what happened between Dr. King's death and, and, and up until today, uh, yeah, Barack Obama was, you know, the first black president of the United States. But was he really was he really a leader for, for the black cause? When you're president of the United States, you, you have to represent everybody because I don't think he would have been effective as he was if he just represented black people. But he did give us a voice and he did give us an image that we're not all about, you know, smoking, you know, drinking, you know, having babies out of wedlock and leaving the moms. He, he did kind of clean our image up a little bit. But I, I honestly, since Dr. King, up until I saw like a Fred Hampton, um, you know, uh, portrayal in the Black Panthers, 
I, I really can't think of anybody other than, you know, Dr. King. But, but you know what? Let me go back, pedal because, you know, there was Muhammad Ali, who was a, a leader in the community. He was more than just a boxer. You did have people like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Jim Brown, uh, Jesse Jackson, to a certain extent, up until the 80s when he ran for president, that pretty much killed his credibility with some of the things that was going on in Jesse's life. There always seems like that there's always some sort of a, uh, a scandal when it comes to black, when it comes to black leadership, we're, we're held to a different standard. Our reputation has to be spotless. We had a president and we currently have a president right now. And I hadn't forgot about Joe Biden's uh, history when it comes to, you know, infidelity and, and, and just all sorts of things. You know, why is it that we hold black men to a different standard than we hold other ethnicities? And um, and that's why I think that the whole leadership thing is, is in play is because there's always some sort of a smear campaign or if you can't smear the person, you kill them. So you're right, James. I think everybody is just scared to take that mantle. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say Al Sharpton to a degree I mean, I think, you know, people have their their views on him. But I would say when something goes down, I don't. I, and, you know, what he said at George Floyd, I think it was at George Floyd's funeral. He was like, people think I just show up. I don't show up. People call me, you know, when 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 people's loved ones get murdered. So like he I see him a lot on the front line when things happen, when things aren't happening. I don't I don't I don't necessarily see him as vocal I'm, and so and i don't follow him as much but I, I wanted to say i think the i think the mo is changing i don't think it's like one black voice i think it's getting getting into these roles where change can happen as you see with like warnock you see with different people trying trying to get into the roles where the changes can happen so i don't i don't I think it's good if you have that black voice, but I think it's I think it's changing to more so getting into the roles where we can make real decisions and not and not necessarily just having a black voice. I could see that, you know, and, and I think that's something else. Once again, the unifier that um we we speak on with Fred Hampton, you know, going to the crowns and saying, you know what, think about what we can do together. You know, and in in Fred's um, meeting with the leader of the Crowns, he never came off to me, at least, uh, coming off as I want credit for doing this. Think about what we can do together. You know, not you come join our organization, but we're going to work at it together. You know, and I think that's sometimes something I ask. You know, why why do we not see? And talking about current times, why do we not see the National Action Network and the NAACP doing more co-sponsored events. You know, um, are we not aligned? You know, um, Eric, to your point, and the last thing I'll share uh, about Jesse Jackson running for president, uh, I wanted to share on that. I really don't think, and I think I heard this about Al Sharpton. I don't think Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson really had intentions on becoming president when they ran. They were just looking for the platform. You know, they were just looking for the opportunity to speak against things that was going on and speak on our behalf and not really have an expectation of being a president at that time. So I don't think that they were just really looking for that job per se. Okay. Well, I think that a small piece of them did want to be president because why put forth the effort if you don't think you have a decent chance of winning? 
Do you think they had a decent chance of winning in the eighties? No, <laughs> no, I, I didn't, but I believe that they thought that they had enough, uh, they had enough influence that they, they may be able to pull off an upset. Remember when Jesse Jackson ran for president, Jesse Jackson was the democratic uh, nominee. He wasn't an independent. He actually won the democratic nomination for president of the United States, if I'm not mistaken. But no, Jesse wasn't Jesse wasn't a lightweight. You know, think about his influence. He was, you know, hand in hand with Dr. King. Um, you know, he had, you know, interactions with Malcolm X. He had he had everybody in the black community behind him. Uh, so he had he had a, a pretty huge platform to begin with. I don't think him running for president increased uh, the exposure, at least not where the exposure the exposure should have been. So I disagree with you slightly on that. And the same thing with Reverend Al Sharpton. Uh, those those type of those type of men don't do something if they have expectations of losing. I disagree. I think they're opportunists. I think okay. both of them are. I, mm. I, I do. do do share and and why you're doing that? Uh, Shay commented uh, when National Action Network had the recent march. I didn't see other organizations support Sharpton NAACP was doing their own event. Our leaders need to support each other and join forces. I, I couldn't agree more. That, that, I swear, that woman right there, that's a smart woman. <laughs> yes, you, you, should, you should marry that woman. I should. And you know what? I'm going to propose right here on the Ear Hustling Podcast. <laughs> Jay Montgomery, will you marry me again? Uh, you should stand up for him. Huh? I said, Johnny and I should stand up with y'all. Oh, I thought you were saying I should stand up. I cannot stand up right now. I'm just, never mind. You know what? Anyway. Moving on. <laughs> Johnny, please explain your last comment. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, going by what Shay's comment was, uh, she, she, she said yes. <laughs> she said yes. Um, I, just going by the comment again, uh, what Shay said that why, why not have a uniform front with that? I think that this entire fabric of this country was not built on peace and love or any of that. They took what they wanted. Okay. Um, and I think the same way where with us and the power is we're going to have to take, we're not going to ask. I think that far too often our um, uh, people look at black folks and we need to be forgiving and we need to be, you know, uh, pleasant. And, you know, we're just so worried about why, why don't they, why won't they accept us? Why would you want someone to accept you? You take your power. That's my opinion. Um, I don't think, I think that, um, uh, I don't know much about black lives matter, but I don't think that they're doing, uh, in the same capacity that the Black Panthers was doing in the community. I, I don't see that. I, I don't know what exactly they're doing, but I don't see that they have the same focus and mindset. Our, our, our people in our generation are is quite different. We, we're still chasing uh, a wanting to be accepted by this fictitious, you know, people that says, what's good and what's not and how you should be. Um, I, I just think it's totally different. Totally different. Hmm. To your point, we're just trying to get people to see that we matter. So. That's an excellent point, Gina. It's an excellent point. 
Um, I, I agree too. It's never freely given. And, and just to kind of go off subject slightly, our constitution says all men are created equal, but within that same text of that con uh, constitution, excuse me, it's also stating that anybody of black descent is what, three quarters of a person? He wasn't considered a whole person. But it, exactly. So how in the world can all people be created equal, but then you're going to have this little passage that says that, you know, we're three, we're three quarters of a people. And then even to this day, a lot of, um, uh, uh, well, some individuals, I'm not going to say a lot, some individuals still think that it's true. Uh, and to me, it's just, it, it's astounding how, how the contempt, you know, for the, um, for the black people in general, even a well-organized group, like Ben said, like the Black Panthers, who has a rainbow concept, all inclusive. Everybody needs to support everybody in order for us to get to where we need to go. That that threaten that threaten a lot of white people. That threaten their superiority complex. That threaten their position. You know, being the alpha. Uh, one of the scenes of, with the FBI agent and his boss was like, "What would you do if your daughter brought a nigga home?" And it was like, "Well, she wouldn't." He was like. What if she did? So that right there just told me that even when you have a position like a, you know, like a director of the um, FBI, you know, you have an inferior, you have like a complex of a 21 year old. Uh, you have an inferior, you have an, excuse me, an inferior complex of someone who's 21 years old, who exudes probably more authority and more influence than even that of somebody who's running a division in the FBI. So what is, what is that going to tell you about, you know, how fearful they were, you know, of black people in general? You know, you have all of these thousands and thousands of people with all of these degrees, but you, you're in fear of one person. You're one person who can mobilize and, and unify people. But I guess it just makes that other entity less powerful. So I guess that's really the reason why they went through the extremes of killing all of your leaders, or all of our leaders, excuse me. But, you know, then you look at um, the, the letter, the newsletter that the uh, FBI wrote and, and delivered to the crowns, you know, they know what they're doing. They they put division between us, you know, and um, the same with William O'Neill. You know, they they prey on, quote unquote, the weak. You know, they they're opportunists, you know, and and to Slay's point, I believe, um, say young people, let it be a, a message. You know, we always say how many people heard snitches get stitches. You know, and, and we're not talking about and just let the record state, we're not talking about someone that's that's turning in the drug cartel. We're talking about someone turning on an organization that's trying to do good in the community. That's the thing that bothers me. Yeah. You know, with um, Mayor Daly over in Chicago, while he was threatening it, 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 here's what the perception was with the with the mayor at that time. If you've got this 21 year old minority who is organizing this and you're not, it, it makes him look extremely bad, makes him look extremely bad. <clears throat> and so you get folks with that type of mindset. Well, you know, you got this 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 young nigga basically is is thinking that he's about to take over my city. So we need to eliminate him. Because, you know, Fred wasn't supposed to, you know, obviously get out of jail when he did, but they let him out of jail to kill him. They let him out of jail to kill him. 
and he was about and he was about to go back. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, the guy was in jail. I mean, and and then to your point, Eric, like if the mayor was upset that he wasn't doing anything, he had no intentions of doing anything anyway. So like, like what's the, what's the point? But um, I wanted to say too, Lakeith Stanfield is one of the best actors. Like, let's just pause right here. He played Bill O'Neill. He's played in a lot of different roles, but like he, he played that role so well. I thought you thought it was Bill O'Neill. Like you, you really did. Even, I don't even know who Bill, I didn't know who he was until this movie but as you as you watch him play that role it's like wow you got to see his 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 beginning middle end, his struggles like he he did such a great job i mean i I wanted to make sure we i mentioned that well he definitely did and it's going to make me look at some more roles that 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 he was in um just to make sure you know i just need to watch some more of his movies and it's um it was, it was an incredible movie. I had my reservations too when uh, my, my co-host over there had came up with the idea to critique this movie. I'm like, and I'm not about to sit around, but I'm like, okay, you know what? If he watched it, then it must have some some sort of message to it. So, you know what? Thank you for, for recommending that movie. Uh, I, I will listen to it and, and watch it multiple times because that's a conversation that I need to have with my kids. Uh, we, we need to watch the movie if anybody has kids. You need to watch this movie with your children and then you need to do some research before you watch the movie because your kids are going to have questions. And if they don't have any questions, then you need to give them a different point of this movie other than the fact that it's entertaining. You know, you need to tell them about the history. You need to tell them about the struggles. You need to give them what other people were perceived the Black Panthers to be before watching the movie. And now we've got a broader appreciation for what the Black Panther organization did You know, um, Ben, just to piggyback off of you, uh, Lakeith, you're right, is a is a phenomenal uh, actor. Uh, I actually forgot that he played Snoop in Straight Outta Compton. Oh, uh, he did. <laughs> in Get Out. Uh, in Get Out, I believe his character was the uh, the gardener, wasn't it? Mm, no, it was the guy that was that was trying to tell uh, Daniel Kalua to 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 get out yeah he was the the old white woman's uh husband right and yeah when he took yeah. a picture with his phone that yeah. sent him that sent him crazy that's so the character you, it was the it was the the guy in the beginning of the movie when he was walking down the street looking for the girlfriend house that was him and then very well, I think the scene that's known for it is that he went to go give him a dab and he did this <laughs> 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 James looks so puzzled. No, no, I was, I was still reading and listening at the same time. Oh, I'm the movie. <laughs> All those degrees and you can't read and listen at the same time. You need a rebate on your diploma. You know what? <laughs> Only because I'm an ordained minister, I'm not going to comment on that. Well, yeah, Johnny, you missed that. I'm an ordained minister. I'll tell you off there. I don't think Ben knew that either. <laughs> no, I heard. Yeah, he heard it. I think I watched the 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 podcast that was on. Oh. Yeah, but no, he's he's a he's a phenomenal uh talent and he's only 29 years old. Really? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, but anyway. Uh Eric, you have anything else? No, no. Um 
you know, the fact that he's 29 years old, I think I'm just going to comment on that. So he's got a lot of great things that's ahead of him. And I really I really see him doing a lot of behind the scenes, like direct and, and, and producing um, probably within the next five years. So that's man, that's some, some good information. I didn't know that he was that young. Oh, oh. Well, Soleil, Johnny, Ben, thank you so much for being on the show today. We went a little over an hour. Uh, I should say thanks for being on the show again. Uh, I'm sure you all will be back again soon. Uh, definitely would love to have you back, of course. But, uh, Eric, you got any parting words? Uh, no, but, uh, Ben, if you wouldn't mind, what sort of things do you've got going on on BS3, uh, BS3 Radio in the near future? Oh, I, I appreciate that. So um, we we're adding new shows. Um, we We just posted on our social media the full show roster of all the shows we have um and we're just going to continue to put out great content you guys uh we just started i started a new show called the forecast f-o-r-e-c-a-s-t me and a couple of guys we review movies we talk about uh things just going on you know a men's perspective so uh you can definitely check that out and yeah we're just uh continuing to build continuing to build the brand all right. Well, we appreciate it. And we're happy. And I very rarely speak for James, but I think that both of us can agree that we are extremely happy to be a part of the BS3 family. And, and James, I don't think we brag about this enough is that we are an award winning podcast. We were voted the most versatile podcast uh, of BS3 radio. So we take great pride you know, in the content and we are very grateful. You know, the fact that you allowed us to, to be on your platform. So we greatly do appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. No problem. Uh, ladies, either one of you have anything you'd like to say uh, before we exit stage left? No. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Montgomery. Uh, I, I believe that you typically have the last word it's because you're so great at it. I don't have the last words. You say something after I do, but... Thank you, everyone, for tuning in tonight. You, uh, We really appreciate it. Without you guys, we really wouldn't have uh, much to talk about or at least no one to talk to. Uh, so you heard it from our mouths to your ears. Thank you. And stay safe, America. So that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it in reverse order next time. I'll say stay safe, America. And then you'll say it's been from our mouths to your ears. You are making this ending of this show like Lord of the Rings, sir. Multiple endings. I was thinking like Star Wars. No. Okay, I'm hitting in broad.